a CNN investigation many months after the fact to come out and say exactly what Palestinians were saying at the time. The Nakba is still happening in 2023. Every day there are new Palestinians that are made refugees. It's not normal for you to attack a grandfather in the street and kill him. It's not normal for you to fire at a two-year-old's head. Apartheid army, which acts as judge, jury, executioner, they do the killings and then they decide to absolve themselves from any liability for the killings. The 80-year-old Palestinian-American man who was bound and gagged by Israeli soldiers, the soldiers will not be charged. But let them be a Ryanair pilot who says, welcome to Palestine, and you are fired plan to divide Al-Aqsa Mosque. Palestinians will never let this happen without resisting in their fullest capacity. These motherfuckers love a partition. They will partition anything. Two bedroom? More like a four bedroom. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for decolonization, justice, and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you almost crashed and burned over a pilot saying, welcome to Palestine. Ooh, that's a good one. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the palestinepod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes and additional podcasts per week. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash palestinepod. Israeli MP proposes a plan to divide Al-Aqsa Mosque. These motherfuckers love a partition plan. They will partition anything. Two bedroom? More like a four bedroom. It's just crazy <laughs> to me because they forget that they're occupying us. Making proposals, proposed plan to divide Al-Aqsa Mosque. You don't get to make a proposed plan to divide Al-Aqsa Mosque. You are an occupation. You are supposed to leave and then pay us reparations for all the time that you've been here illegally and all the shit that you've done. You don't get to propose a plan to share land that isn't yours and not just any land, but the land on which Al-Aqsa Mosque is. You don't get to do this, but it's just, it's, it's crazy because you read the headline and if you don't know anything about what's happening in Palestine, you read this headline, Israeli MP proposes plan to divide, you know, just plan to share the area. Well, you know, why, why not? It's just a plan to share the space. This is an act of aggression. This is essentially a war cry. If the apartheid state persists in this or any sort of plan similar to this to try to divide the land on which the Al-Aqsa Mosque is or to take parts of that land so that they can do something with it, it's not going to end well for the apartheid state. So I, I don't really know how they expect this to play out, but Palestinians will never 
ever let this happen without resisting in their fullest capacity. It's never going to happen. Please go ahead and try. I'm going to cut that out, huh? Which one? Um, please go ahead and try. Like, who can't? Why, they don't need an invitation. They're like vampires. Like, why would you <laughs> invite them? <laughs> you already know that they are engaging in these demonstrations where they raid the mosque, where they raid the compound, and they're extremely violent, or they're just doing it to normalize the presence of settlers in the area of the Al-Aqsa compound, right? They are bringing like tours in under military guard and displacing Palestinians who are worshiping in order to make space for these settlers who come from literally wherever. We also know that they are excavating neighborhoods underneath Al-Aqsa so that it's actually like at risk of collapse the neighborhoods are because of the way that they have dug out underneath. And if you'd like to see more about that, you can go to Adnan Bark's story highlights. He has a bunch of videos where he toured a, the neighborhood right by Al-Aqsa and saw that, you know, the Zionists are literally taking the floor out underneath them, like evil coal miners. On your point that this comes on the heels of a recent increase of Israeli settlers rushing the mosque under apartheid police protection without permission, obviously, from Palestinians. The Middle East Eye reported that in 2009, 5,658 settlers entered the mosque in such incursions. But in 2019, the number rose to 30,000. And so this is a trend. They are increasing their presence. It's becoming more and more hostile, and they are becoming more and more belligerent and extreme. So very, very scary stuff. And nobody's stopping them, right? Nobody's saying anything to stop them. But let's all remember that Jerusalem is occupied. That's the position of international law. It's now a permanent occupation. They've been there since 1967. Permanent occupation is completely contrary to the rules pertaining to occupation under international law, which is supposed to be temporary in nature. They have no right as an occupying power to assert any sovereignty over this land. And yet that's exactly why what they are doing when they are making permanent changes to the land and the facts on the ground or proposals of this sort. That's exactly what they're doing. So this is just further example of continued flagrant violations of international law that the world is simply not holding Israel to account for. So Ben White tweeted, 48 hours, two stories, one grim microcosm. And he put side-by-side -side excerpts of two stories which highlight Israel's impunity before the world for its aggression towards Palestinians. You may remember the story of the 80-year-old Palestinian-American man who was bound and gagged in occupied Palestine by Israeli soldiers and was beaten and eventually died. 
the apartheid state has come out and has said that the soldiers who bound and gagged him before he died will not be charged. The apartheid state will often announce that no accountability will take place many months or years after the incident itself takes place because they know that nobody's paying attention anymore to that particular incident that the news cycle has passed. So this came out very recently, as reported by the Hot Ritz. And in addition to that, we also have the Hot Ritz reporting that the soldier who killed the Palestinian toddler, Mohammed Tamimi, who fired a bullet at his head, will not face disciplinary action either. So here you have two incidents of clear wrongdoing, clear extrajudicial killings of Palestinians who were on their land, in their homes, parked outside of their house in a car, which was the case of Mohammed Tamimi. The 80-year-old was walking in his village. And in both cases, the apartheid army, which acts as its, you know, judge, jury, executioner, they 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 do the killings and then they decide to absolve themselves from any liability for the killings, right? Because that makes perfect sense. They've come out and said, oh yeah, by the way, these incidents, nobody's going to be dealt with in any sort of disciplinary fashion. So, and by the way, we don't even know who has has done this because they haven't actually released the names of the soldiers who killed both the 80-year-old Palestinian American man or Mohammed Tamimi. But let them be a Ryanair pilot who says, welcome to Palestine, and you are fired. In fact, the CEO of the company will come out and apologize for the actions of one employee. Yeah. Same same news cycle. The Ryanair pilot that says, welcome to Occupied Palestine. Let this be artwork from Gaza children. And they will go into a meltdown, right? They'll, they, will, they will melt down. They will issue press releases. They will advocate for it to be removed. Let this be a law student who's delivering a speech at her law school graduation. And she is talking about upholding principles of justice, equality, freedom for all. Let it be that. And the entire lobby goes into overdrive thinking about what they can do, damage control to stop it, to, to get her reprimanded, to ruin her life. Zionists are coming out calling for her to not even be admitted to the New York bar because she's talking yeah. about holding Israel accountable for their crimes. They start texting Mayor Eric Adams at 3.30 a.m. But when they are actually doing the murdering and we're like, hey, it's not normal for you to attack a grandfather in the street and kill him and he's a palestinian american he's in his land and you you as an occupying army have just murdered him and you're like oopsies we shouldn't have done that it's not normal for you to fire at a two-year-old's head you know that's just not normal for you to kill a two-year-old when we when we say that and by the way that's a reasonable thing to say and we're calling for some action to be taken for really really bad crimes because we're coming off of the heels of May 2021. People know more. People have seen what Israel has done. People ha are more educated. Remember when many months ago, we are talking about the settler pogroms in Hawara, and we're calling it exactly that. And Fatima actually in her speech referred to incidents of settlers attacking Palestinian property and attacking Palestinian uh, towns. And this is the kind of thing that the lobby was going nuts about. Oh, oh, she can't possibly say that. What is she saying? Well, what did this, what did CNN publish a couple of days ago? They published an article 
titled Israel's Military Called the Settler Attack on this Palestinian Town a Pogrom. Videos show soldiers did little to stop it. So now, many months after the incident, we have a full investigation carried out by CNN, which has analyzed video, interviewed individuals who were eyewitnesses, interviewed two Palestinian journalists, interviewed an Israeli soldier, and they have put together their own investigation of the incidents which took place in occupied Hawara. And now we have total validation of all of the reporting that we did at the time. And all of what Palestinians were saying at the time was, we are being attacked by settlers. This is a full-blown program. They are attacking all of our property. They are beating us in the streets. They're burning our houses down. And the Israeli apartheid army is protecting them. Bro, they were live streaming it on TikTok. Everybody was watching. Exactly. But the mainstream they were like they were like they were like a hashtag pogrom when you try to communicate that that's what's happening in mainstream spaces like fatima did at her law school graduation you are instantly met with all of this doubt smears of oh you're a liar and she's talking about things that have happened and not only is she talking about things that have happened but now she's talking about something Many months later, CNN comes out and says exactly that. They say, when hundreds of Israeli settlers rampaged through Hawara and surrounding Palestinian towns on February 26th, leaving at least one Palestinian man dead and hundreds injured, CNN found not only did the forces fail to stop the riots in Hawara, they did not protect residents as settlers set fire to Palestinian homes and businesses and blocked emergency services from responding. Instead, when residents threw rocks in reaction to the settlers' aggression, Israeli forces fired at the Palestinians with tear gas and stun grenades, according to the analysis of the footage and the eyewitness accounts. No shit, Sherlock. We know this. We say this is what we tell people that they do. We, we, we narrate our experiences all the time, but we are never believed. And it takes, a, it takes a CNN investigation many months after the fact to come out and say exactly with precision what Palestinians were saying at the time. I think that this is something that, that goes to the heart of one of the biggest problems that we're facing as we advocate for our liberation, which is that Palestinians are not believed about their own lived experiences. They're ignored. They're they are not believed. They are not they are not seen as credible narrators of their lived experiences. And we have time and again, in so many situations where Palestinians narrate what has happened to them with precision, they, they document crime after crime after crime, nothing happens to, to bring any sort of accountability. And then many months later, an investigation will come out that proves exactly what they said is correct. And then still the impunity will persist. That is the, the the very dangerous pattern that we are seeing, and it is it is it is it, it it makes me desperately hopeless sometimes when I see it because I'm like, what else is it going to take? Probably some guns. Yeah, look, I it's funny when we were in when we were in Brussels, we asked some of the MEPs. We said, um, "What's like a red line that if Israel did this one thing, then then the international community would be mobilized to actually do something?" Because you know they've done some really bad things, and we all agree that they've done some really bad things. And you're allegedly an ally in front of us. So, do you have a sense of like what is the red line? And we were just met with blank stares and like 
basically they could do anything and nothing would be a red line is what we were told. There is no red line. Yeah, they're not really into lines over there, you know, because then they just try and take more anyway. They try to steal the Jordan Valley. It's got Jordan in the name. They're pushing up on Lebanon like they're they were already kicked out of Lebanon. They are occupying Syria. Donald Trump recently said, we gave you the Golan Heights to a bunch of Jews in Florida. Like, the vibes are off. Who is Donald Trump to give somebody the Golan Heights? Like, Donald Trump could not pick out the Golan Heights on a map if it wasn't labeled and pointed out to him. Yeah. He for sure has no idea. He has for sure no idea where it is. He's talking about it like it's Park Place on Monopoly. (laughs) We gave you the good properties. We gave you... There's a great article in the Middle East Eye by Gideon Levy about the recent displacement of Bedouin Palestinians from the Ain Samia village. It's called Silent Transfer, How Israeli Settlers Are Launching a Second Nakba. And it speaks about how settlers physically drove Palestinians from the Ain Samia village out of their homes. And he argues that this is part of a systematic scheme that serves the settlers' vision to remove all Palestinians from the West Bank. Now, of course, we know that that's what they're doing, and that's what this is all about. But it's these singular incidents when when you view them on their own, and then you have to zoom out and understand the context that they're part of. But he speaks about this particular incident of 37 Bedouin families of the Kabana tribe who were basically made homeless overnight because of settler invasion into their village, which is crazy because it's like the Nakba is still happening in 2023. And there are every day there are new Palestinians that are made refugees every single day. And and again, the, the question then is, is like, okay, refugees overnight, where are they going to go? Most of their property had been left in the village. They are not being allowed to return. Israeli settlers rushed into the village to forcibly appropriate its lands, use their fields for grazing and prevent their return, even clearing away some of the furniture. Sound familiar? It's literally the same playbook from 1948. It hasn't changed at all. Now they just have millions of dollars they spend on PR, maybe billions even. Gideon Levy writes, the settler's success in Ain Samia and before that in another nearby shepherding community will encourage them to continue along their chosen path. They have already managed a partial ethnic cleansing of areas of the Jordan Valley and the southern Mount Hebron. Settlers will be like, I'm indigenous to Palestine. That's why I was born in Milwaukee and I live in the Jordan Valley now. From the Bedouin and Palestinian standpoint, Ain Samia is unequivocal proof that the Nakba is not over. It has continued mostly without interruption since 1948. The catastrophe has not ended. It speaks about how he actually visited Ain Samia a few days after the settlers expelled the Palestinian families from the village. 
He says, I visited the abandoned village and the temporary refuge of the families. At, at the village left behind, from underneath some damaged plywood, came a faint bleeding noise. Oh my God. Lifting the board revealed a heartbreaking sight. Six tiny puppies in a heap. Oh my God, this is so sad. Their mother had departed with the villagers, leaving the pups to their fate in the desert. The sight was heart-wrenching. How would we save them? This is reminding me of the, the video that I saw a couple days ago. I think it was on Ion Palestine about an Israeli sniper that shot a Palestinian like a cat cat in a Palestinian town. Did you see this? Straight in the stomach. And it's like, Israeli apartheid also bad for the animals. Not good for any living thing. Not good for people, animals, or the environment. How is it possible that the internet made and tracked down a guy who messed with cats and then they made a movie about it? It was called like Don't Fuck With Cats or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that Netflix right? movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy became like a dang international head hunted like yes. most wanted man israelis can just shoot cats willy-nilly zionist shoots a cat hey literally goes unnoticed people are like relieved it wasn't a human where's the manhunt he speaks about some of the other things he saw in the village he says a nearby field had turned black and sooty after the settlers burned it the village school stood atop a hill its doors locked but all the windows were smashed and removed by the settlers it's crazy because the school itself has a plaque with the names of the donors who helped establish the school including eu foreign ministries and aid agencies so they're they're there providing international funds to palestinian villages which are in real time being ethnically cleansed by settlers wouldn't it be relevant for the eu to step in you know, they built that school. Wouldn't it be relevant for them to know that 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 village is not ethnic, ethnically cleansed? Like, is that not? Hey, they destroyed your school that you built. Any questions? Any comments on it? No, nah, no red line. EU is so unreliable. But in better news, China has reiterated that Palestine should become a full member of the UN. Chinese leader Xi hails the establishment of China-Palestine strategic ties. Uh, yeah, I, I saw this story and I don't know what to make of it either because he is reaffirming his commitment to Mahmoud Abbas. He says, we are good friends and partners. And it's like, I don't care if you're friends with Mahmoud Abbas. We're not friends with Mahmoud Abbas. We don't, you know, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Um... Like if he had said, like, I'm down with the Palestinian liberation movement and the Palestinian people, it's like, cool. But he all he really said was like, I'm friends with Mahmoud Abbas, which is like, fine. But basically, I saw him say something like Palestine is a just cause. He did say, yeah. So he said, okay, fair enough. Otherwise, I would not have mentioned it. Fair enough. So he says, it, we I, are was also un, I was also <laughs> unmoved by this is my good friend Mahmoud Abbas. That's not, that's not why I was bringing it up, right? You're absolutely I wasn't right. like, oh, he goody. Said, <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> Finally, the cavalry has come in. This letter writing campaign has come to a fruition. Sure. So you're you're right. Let's let's be fair here. So he did say we are good friends and partners regarding Mahmoud Abbas, but he also said that his government has quote always firmly supported the just cause of the Palestinian people to restore their legitimate national rights. And then he went on to say some words about the two state solution, which you know, yeah, is what it is. Sure. 
I think uh, he actually said something about restoring 67 borders, though, which is even more like, uh, obviously, it's not our position, but for a government official to take that position, talking about, you know, the sure. occupation having to give back land is kind of a sure. big change in the language used to describe the situation. Yes. Right. You know, as they're actively ethnically cleansing and stealing more land day by day, you have a government that's like, well, you actually have to start giving some of it back. And yes, obviously, it's not going to reflect the land back movement that's, you know, driven from the ground up. But it is good to see a shift in language and hopefully policy coming from the top down. Let's let's see where that goes. I won't hold my breath, but let's see where that goes. To their credit, China has also recently intervened in Yemen and stopped the Saudi US-backed campaign of genocide in Yemen. So they brokered a peace treaty there as well. I'm not saying it's the same situation, obviously, but China is positioning itself in opposition to US hegemony in a way that is notable so far. And I'm not like a huge China fanboy, obviously, you know what I mean? Like I'm not like <laughs> me and President Xi hang out. Um, but good friends. Do... We're good friends. We're good friends. Oh, dude, me and G, we grab tea. Um, but I am trying to provide like a narrative that is counter to US imperialism. Understand. And you know, any pushback, any loss of land by U.S. imperialism is a good is a good thing for yeah. the global, you know, population. Well, here's a story speaking of. Well, it's actually not speaking of because it's on a totally different subject. So great, smooth transition, as I am always known for that. I have just roasted you... myself. You and Paris Hilton have the smoothest transitions. <laughs> that is Paris so Hilton rude. has recently become a DJ for No, it is, it is not recent. She's been a DJ for like 10 years now, and it's never been good. Don't call so. it a comeback. She's been here for years. All right, look. Uh, remember Jamal Khashoggi? Well, his widow has sued an Israeli spyware company, NSO, over phone hacking. The murdered Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi who we all agree like it was a bad thing for him to be murdered everyone agrees about that well it just so happens Zionists were involved so well hold on now I'm sure there are some <laughs> folks who work at a Saudi embassy who have <laughs> some things to say yeah they probably sure they have listen. a reasonable case for why they saw she meet this journalist yeah they probably don't they don't listen to us but in any event the widow of I Jamal bet you they do okay <laughs> the widow of Jamal Khashoggi stated in a lawsuit that surveillance software built by the Israeli surveillance company NSO Group was used to spy on her messages in the months leading up to her husband's death in a civil suit filed Thursday in the Northern District of Virginia, Hanan Elater Khashoggi said that NSO intentionally targeted her devices and caused her immense harm, both through the tragic loss of her husband and through the loss of her safety, privacy, and autonomy. The Israeli spyware company didn't respond to the lawsuit initially, um, you know, which is just very typical. It's like, oh, we're being sued for being involved in this, you know, journalists murder it's like who cares it's in america ah oh, it'll be fine we don't have to respond we don't have to show up you know just like the just the extent to which they are just so like 
brazen, right? It's like you think they would at least just like show up, respond to the lawsuit. No, we don't have to respond. Who cares? And I hope she wins her lawsuit. That's all we can say. But yeah, they're gonna have to respond. Or they're not. There'll be if if she wins, there'll be a default judgment entered in against them. And then they'll just be like, we don't care. We're not gonna good luck enforcing it. Yeah, take it out of what you owe us. Yeah, exactly. Oh, great. Just send us $3.99999 billion instead. You know? Keep a little penny for yourself, kid. Don't spend it all in one place. Also, more good news from the international community. Mexico gives full recognition to Palestine, welcoming an embassy which indicated that the move to welcome Palestinian embassy in Mexico had come after the government and parliament in the country fully recognized the state of Palestine. This measure is undertaken in the spirit of cooperation and friendship between the two countries, which is evidenced in the continuous development of bilateral relations in the bilateral and multilateral sphere since its Palestine's establishment in 1975, said the report. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Expatriates expresses its firm conviction that the measure will significantly contribute to the continued development and strengthening of relations between the United Mexican States and the State of Palestine on the basis of mutual respect and recognition and for the benefit of the two peoples, as well as contributing to the international security and development, it added. Mexican Senate passed a resolution recognizing Palestine as an independent state last November on the anniversary of Palestinians' own declaration of independence, November 15th, 1985. State of Palestine has over 80 embassies around the world and 12 in Latin America, including Brazil and Argentina. So Mexico is joining a consensus here, according to JuanCole.com. A leftist, whatever that means, someone who chaired the Labor Party youth called killing of Mohammed Tamimi necessary and better than another terrorist attack. That oh, I saw that tweet. I saw that tweet. tweet. Yeah. That was a weird tweet. You know why? Because it starts like this. Yes, it, it is necessary. Yes, we have the right to defend ourselves. Yes, his death is better than another terrorist attack, but it still hurts. So painful. May the memory of Muhammad Tamimi be blessed. What a mind fuck. It feels like my internet froze, but it's actually just my brain. <laughs> it's it's a weird tweet because it's like a Zionist attempt to show humanity, but it gets all just Well, first there's three bullet points about how it's necessary to murder children. Right. And then, then then you get a but 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 still it's we, yeah. painful. It hurts. It hurts me. Yes. Center me in this murder of a two-year-old. Center the colonizer yeah. in their pain over the memory of a two-year-old murdered by the occupation that they support. 
it's it's really a travesty for them, actually. You know, this is giving me vibes of like Golda Meir. Remember her mm-hmm. quote? Remember her quote about we can never forgive them for making us kill their children? Yeah. Yeah. That's what this is. This is like it a was, it was really a gun to your head type of situation for them. Right. You had you had to kill the children. You had oh wait, no, the, the guns were the other way. Exactly. But that's what that it's like that same kind of reasoning where it's like, we don't want to kill them, but it's just these Palestinians, they just are putting us in this impossible situation of having to execute their children, which obviously is super traumatizing for us, and we will never forgive them for it. I'm gonna need therapy. From reading that with. tweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like what? But they're literally, I mean, it reminds me of the video of that soldier, you know, who's testifying in front of like an Israeli parliament or something. And he's like, I can't sleep. Like I wet the bed, like super tough to be the colonizer. Can't imagine what it's like to be on the other side of that gun. They're all liars and fakes and uh, don't believe a word they say, you know. But take everything that we say as gospel. All right, folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Check out our full episodes and sources if you don't believe everything that we say as gospel at www.palestinepod.com. Find our Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Then send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And look for us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine pod. That's been another episode of the pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Dude, Joe Biden, every time I read the news, well, I mean, I don't read the news very often. Not like that kind of news, not like Joe Biden news, you know. But when what's I... the latest on <laughs> Biden? <laughs> Whenever I do... It's, I feel like I'm always reading about him falling. Like last week, there was like two falls in a row. Yeah. Yes. I heard he fell in love again with Dr. Jill Biden. <laughs> Is that a joke that he wrote? <laughs> no, but it did uh, fall short. <laughs> <laughs>